Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So, um, as I understand it, right now you're on vacation. And yes. so today, yeah. <laughs> so today, I'm not on vacation, but I guess I'm on vacation from the podcast. So thanks. But yeah, I, I expect there may be some listeners that might protest us doing a rerun episode. Um, my question to them would be how effective would it really be? <laughs> All right, uh, settle down. Yeah, so we went back into some of the archives. Here's one of our favorite episodes from a couple of years ago now, but uh, still relevant. It's a really interesting study into what, what the researchers were trying to understand was whether when there are protests, like you know people out in the street carrying signs and chanting, that kind of protest, uh, political protest, uh, it seems like there is often uh, political changes that happen there are certain electoral outcomes that happen in the same areas where protests happen. And so the question is, if you're trying to detangle cause and effect with that, which way does it point? Are there protests because there are politically involved people? Do people get politically involved because there are protests? Is there something else that's driving all of that? So we're talking about a pretty interesting study that tries to untangle all of that cause and effect um, and learn a little bit about how protest works uh, while we're at it. Awesome. So we'll travel back in time and you can listen to Katie and Ben from two years ago while we take a break. Enjoy. Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So my uh, my pun brain right now is not particularly inspired, um, but I was hoping we could talk about something variable and dodginess. Oh, see, I was ready for you to make some kind of joke about how you were in favor of testing like yeah. that you were a little bit like protest yeah that's that's a better one endogeneity okay. is the is the thing we're Endo- really going to talk about yeah, but sure yes endogenous variables whatever that means you are listening to linear digressions okay endogenous oh, the, the lengths that we will not go for a pun <laughs> <laughs> endogenous variables that sounds like a scary term it's it a big sounds word. like it's complicated uh, it kind of can be. It can mess up your science real fast if you're not careful. Endogeneity is something that's pretty tricky. And as I was preparing for this episode, trying to like read up on it a little bit, I found that most of the definitions of endogeneity are sort of abstract and hard to understand. But it's really important for understanding causality. So this is important not in the context of machine learning where you're just trying to make a prediction, but if you're doing something that's a little bit more scientifically trying to study a system, and in particular understand causal relationships, uh, you know, between causes and effects and how much, how strong of a relationship you have between a cause and an effect that you're interested in studying. Now, endogeneity doesn't have inherently anything to do with protesting, but as it happens, I was reading some scientific literature about social science research into the effectiveness of protesting. And endogeneity and endogenous variables were really important to that. And so let me explain to you in the context of this uh, protest effectiveness paper what endogeneity means. Specifically, the paper that I was looking at is called Do Political Protests Matter? Evidence from the Tea Party Movement. And this is a paper from 2011. So it's looking at protests that were taking place primarily in 2009 and in 2010. And they were trying to understand that the, uh, the effects that Tea Party protests had on how members of Congress were voting in 2009 and 2010 in response to protests that were happening in their district. So for any of our listeners who are outside of the United States, just a brief explanation of what this is all about. In 2009, there was this 
kind of libertarian, low-tax type conservative movement that got a lot of pickup. It was called the Tea Party Movement. And there were a lot of, uh, it started on tax day in 2009 in April, and there were a lot of protests around the country uh, where, you know, Tea Party, what they were called Tea Partiers, people who would participate in these protests, go out, march around, um, go to town halls and interact with their with their representatives. They would, you know, they're very politically active. And in particular, uh, they were looking at the effectiveness of the protests that, that the Tea Party movement was prompting. Specifically, the thing that they were trying to understand is what's the causal relationship between the size of a protest and how responsive, we'll say, a member of Congress is to the the particular policy demands that the protesters are making. So the Tea Party protesters are basically making demands about lower taxes and smaller government. And so the question is, in places where there are big protests, are the members of Congress then voting, taking like congressional votes, that reflect the fact that, you know, there's some agitation for um, policies that lower taxes and make government smaller. Another way to phrase this question, what is the causal relationship between protest size and voting, is if the protest were different, if there were a protest that in some parallel universe was much larger or much smaller than it actually was in the real world, then how would the vote change in response to that? Mm-hmm. So the naive way that you can try to unpack this is that you can run some kind of regression where the protest variable is, or the protest size is the independent variable. The outcome variable that you're interested in is the you know probability of someone voting in favor of the Tea Party policies. The problem here is that protesters do things on purpose. And this is starting to get at the idea of protest size being an endogenous variable. Oh, interesting. So wait, what do you mean by protesters do things on purpose? I guess it it seems like the assumption that's built into this is that protesters would, I guess, protest equally across different districts. Is that is that kind of down the right road? Well, so in a perfect world, if we wanted to study this from a scientific perspective, that would be really great is if protests were basically randomly distributed across all the different places that they could happen. We'll say like cities and towns and things like that. But of course, there's no particular reason to think that protests would be randomly allocated across districts. So here are a few examples of why they might not be. Um, Maybe because protesters are smart and they know that there are certain members of Congress who are always going to vote with them. There are other members of Congress who are always not going to vote with them. And so what they're really trying to target with their protest is focus as much attention as they can on the piece that's in the middle. So the votes that are most likely to be the swing votes, they're trying to pull them over to their side. So that's an example of how protests are not going to be randomly distributed at all. They're going to be focused uh, very with, with a lot of intensity on a particular type of district. I don't know if this actually happens, but you can see how this you know is totally plausible that that's a scenario uh, of something that could happen. That's the kind of thing that I mean by protesters do things on purpose. Right. I see what you mean. Yeah. And and you can think of a lot of a lot of ways that the causality here can start to get really tricky. So here's another example of how, you know, things could be protests can end up not randomly allocated. Another thing that could happen is that the occurrence of big protests uh, is something that's a result of, among other things, the fact that there's good political organization uh, in a certain city. 
And so there's, you know, the, there's a lot of people who are really into politics in that city, and they're really good at getting people to show up on a Saturday and walk around for a few hours. Um, but if there's good organization in a certain political area, then maybe that affects their representation in other ways. And so then maybe the districts that have big protests also have systematically different types of people who get actually elected during election time. And so again, then, you know, who knows how those kinds of differences might shake out in the voting. And it would be very difficult to say that differences in voting that then you see from those protest districts are because of the protests themselves and not because of this third variable, in this case, the political organization of the place that they're coming from. Okay. The thing that would be perfect if we could have it is if we could have two districts that are identical in every respect, except one of them gets a big protest and one of them doesn't. And then we uh-huh. can look at the difference between the two of them <laughs> and that difference we could attribute to the protest. That's hard to do. Um, I have very often wished I could um, either fork the universe into two and run you know, both universes down different paths, or um, I've always wanted a Command-Z or Control-Z uh, keyboard shortcut for life. That's uh, the keyboard shortcut for undo, so I could do something over again. But <laughs> since we yet, don't, don't we all? <laughs> since we since we don't have that, um, are there any other options? Right. So what you want to look for is what's called an instrumental variable, uh, and so in this case, the instrumental variable that they use is rainfall. So let me explain what an instrumental variable is in the context of how rainfall is a good instrumental variable. Sounds Um, good, because rainfall seems like it would be totally random, right? Well, that's exactly the point, is that Uh. you want to have an instrumental variable that's basically, it doesn't have to be random, but it has to be unassociated with the thing that you're trying to study, except through the... (laughs) <laughs> the um, the causal uh, mechanism that you're trying to say. So let me let me give an example of why rainfall is a good instrumental variable here. The thing that makes rainfall a good instrumental variable is that the only way we think, you know, this seems like a reasonable assumption, and this is something that you know you kind of have to prove in the paper in order for people to believe you. But it it makes sense that the only way that rainfall is going to affect somebody's vote, some representative's vote, is via protest size. So the causal mechanism that Hmm. we think we have here is that on days when it's rainy, people don't want to walk around outside because that doesn't sound fun. Uh, So your protests are systematically going to be somewhat smaller in rainy places, uh, on in places where you happen to have a nice day. And so then people don't mind going to walk outside. Your protest is better if Uh, attended. And so then you end up with a bigger protest. And we think that rain is more or less, it's not randomly distributed. For example, there are places that are systematically more likely to have rain or less likely to have rain. But we do think the distribution of rainfall is not associated with the political characteristics of the places where it rains or it doesn't rain. So we don't think, for example, that there's any particular causal mechanism whereby rainy places tend to have more liberal members of Congress or anything like that in particular. Right. So assuming that those things are indeed not connected or not causal uh, with each other, how, how can you actually, like, how can you apply that to help you in studying the thing that you're trying to study? Right. So what you have to do, first of all, 
is demonstrate that there's a relationship between rainfall and the size of the protest. So this is you know part of the paper that they have to show that that there's actually like plausibly a, a relationship between whether it's raining and whether people don't come out, uh, which makes sense. But you know it's something that you should prove if you're going to be trying to publish this. Right. So then what you can do is you can run your regression where you have the um, representatives vote as the outcome variable. But now instead of putting in protest size, you can put in rainfall instead. And then the question can be reformulated as in places where it's rainy, we'll, we'll say that in, the, in this specific example, we'll say the places where it's rainy, they don't have large Tea Party protests. And then they're n- the hypothesis that we're testing or the thing that we're interested in looking at is do they then have less likelihood of voting in favor of Tea Party policies relative to places that have bigger protests. And so that's what you're trying to uh, tease apart. So if you have a regression that has rain and Tea Party vote probability, then if you see that there's some kind of relationship there that's you know statistically significant, then you can say, after you've done some other checks and blah, 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 that basically this is a way of showing that there's uh, evidence for a, a causal relationship between the protest size and uh, the responsiveness of the representative, because the only way that rainfall could matter on a representative's vote is because it affected the protest size. And that's what makes rain a good instrumental variable, is that the only way that we think that rain is relevant for a member of representative's vote is because of its effect on protest size. Okay, so it seems like the big question in this paper is, do protests actually matter? So um, do they? They do. They do. It depends a little bit. Yeah, it depends a little bit on exactly the way that you're, exactly the question that you're asking, exactly the way that you're trying to slice and dice it, and some of the details of the exact district, for example, are you asking a question of whether Democrats are more likely to retire at the end of their term? If there's a big Tea Party protest, the answer is yes, because uh, Democrats would have, that, that was kind of like the party that was disfavored by the Tea Party movement. Um, also, the subsequent votes that were taken by representatives in districts that had big protests tended to skew more toward the policies that were advocated by the Tea Party. And exactly why this is, is, is another really interesting question. And one of the things I like about this paper is it tries to think about that a little bit as well. It's a little bit harder to say for sure exactly what the mechanism is by which protest size influences a vote. So one example is maybe just as a, a way of communicating information from the public to the representatives. It's basically the public's way of saying, this is our feeling about this, so to speak. Um, or a, a subset of the population really indicating that they're engaged about this and they care. Another mechanism by which protest actually matters on the representation is because maybe people meet each other at the protests and they they get to know each other and they feel more of a sense of community and they stay in touch after it. And so then you have a more coherent like political protest movement that's more effective down the road. So there's a lot of different, this doesn't answer all the questions that we might have about how pro- protesting impacts Uh, vote share down the line, but we do have strong evidence, at least in the case of the Tea Party movement, um, that it does actually make a difference in terms of long-range policy outcomes. So why this topic this week? (laughs) Why indeed? 
Why, indeed, yeah.、Uh, and of course, we, we try to remain apolitical on the show. Well, I mean, this, it's a data science show. It's not Katie and、right. Ben talk about their political opinions. But oh, I, why not? <laughs> but I think it, it, it is, first of all, I think it's something, it's, you know, the protests that are going on right now are something that I care a lot about, you care a lot、yeah. about. I imagine a、Definitely. lot of our, our listeners do.、Um, maybe some of them listen,、uh, care about it in ways that we wouldn't agree with, but, you know. That's,、uh, that's where we are sometimes.、Uh, we love y'all anyway.、Um, but in terms of thinking about, if you're thinking about political strategizing and things like this, if you have some, some energy now or some motivation to go out and like, get involved in the political process, one of the questions that you could and should be asking yourself is to what extent do we know whether、uh, you know, different types of involvement are. Effective, or they have the kinds、mm-hmm. of outcomes that we might be hoping that they have. And so, anyway, turns out this is something that people have studied,、uh, and it's really tricky to actually disentangle the cause and effect.、Um, turns into a, an interesting statistics problem or a modeling problem or whatever you want to call it. And、uh, I don't know, that's why I'm here talking about it this week. As a, I like a, it. I'm a little I'm bit of data. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of data science, a little bit of solidarity. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to lineardigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at lineardigressions.com and katie at lineardigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.